Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we have a special guest, Furkan Mirza. He's an Indian chef with Syrian heritage and he has worked in, in some of the best restaurants in the world. And today we're going to talk about curry and how curry is interpreted outside of India and what it actually is inside India. Hey Eric, thank you. Thank you for thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Could you talk us a little bit about how Indians see Indian food abroad and how it compares to Indian food in India? Um yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely not what they're eating in India for sure. It's it's not anywhere close to it. I mean it also depends abroad is quite broad again. But then again if you go to countries like uh, I mean, the British, wherever the British Empire was, the, what they call the Commonwealth, these countries have a little better knowledge than, for example, if you come to Europe and you're eating it in Spain or in, in France, for example. I think the biggest challenge is not just knowing about it or the want to be sincere, but it's also the reason, the problem is that the people doing it, for example, in Spain right now, the people cook, uh, cooking the Indian food will not be Indians in the most case, as I can tell you. It could be Bangladeshis, it could be Pakistanis, Sri Lankans, uh, with no, no offense. It's just that I think they find a bigger platform in Indian food to be able to run a business, for example. Yeah, I guess the, the, the same happens with Italian food. Mm -hmm. For instance, in, in Berlin, you will see a lot of Italian restaurants run by Turkish people, for instance. Exactly, exactly. And I think I don't blame this to anybody. It's just that, first of all, is the problem of the talent, if it's available, if there is uh, the knowledge of how to cook it. And the second biggest challenge, with, which is a lot with Italian food, is that you will not find the best uh, pizza flour, but you will find some flour close to, to make a pizza, say, in, in Japan. But then again, in Indian, there is so many ingredients which come down to to very small things which are only grown in India or they could not be transported because even in today's day and age because of the perishability or other components. So I think that's also one more reason why you will not find really Indian food uh, outside and also, that also causes the other problem which is generalization. Because you don't find all the ingredients, you boil it down to a few which you find and then make a, a classic menu which you'll see in every other rest Indian restaurant, I'd say, outside India. I would say my, my first contact with Indian food as a kid in Venezuela was curry powder uh -huh. and I, I don't know if this is something that that you that that is standardized i understand that curry i i mean you said uh talking about abroad is a very broad term but uh -huh. to, even talking about india is a very broad term because it yeah. has so many regions so many cultures languages a super long history and uh -huh. next year it, it's going to be the the country with the largest population uh -huh. uh, first uh, in centuries that uh, is in first place instead of of china Mm -hmm. So I, w I also wanted to ask you, do you think Indian food has been misunderstood in foreign markets, particularly in the West? And what are some common misconceptions that, that you have observed? I think the, I mean, the biggest one comes with the whole terminology of curry, because if you actually go to any Indian household, I mean, my generation knows what is curry because we have traveled and we see TV and there's a lot of exchange happening. But you find my grandparents or even my parents, they will not recognize what is curry. To start with, because this is a word which was coined not by, I mean, everybody says it's the British, but it's actually the Portuguese people, the first European settlers in India who bought chili and potato and onions. But they also bought this generalization because they asked the local population what they're eating. And there are similar words. There's kari, there is karil, which refers to either a spice or a leaf or some preparation specifically. But as every European, it was very convenient to just make it a broad term which is the biggest misconception and now it's also accepted by Indians. Curry is anything which is either soupy or dry, has some kind of meat and vegetables and uh, it, it's, it's a warm preparation usually. 
this stems to the other misconception that most Indian food has beet in it. Whereas you go to India and I, I mean, I used to live in, I mean, I come from a Muslim family living with 20 non-Muslim Hindu families living in a building. And you're the only ones who eat meat, for example. The the, the difference is, is it's, it's vast. 84% of them are Hindus who don't eat for various reasons. So that is one misconception as well. The other one being spicy, as in like uh, spicy hot to spicy flavorful are two tangents of, of spicy. I think it all depends on how you use it. The spice, it could uh, end with you not having a great experience after eating an Indian meal, which is again a huge misconception, I think, which also is because of the powders that you mentioned. Curry powders are basically any spice blend, which every house has a different one. The only difference in India, you cook those spices before. You will start with your oil and then put some cumin seeds and some onions and then put this powder and then roast it and, and you basically cook it through which will then not cause you that uneasiness and, and problems after, after eating a curry. And that's, I think, also European style of cooking, of just putting powders inside uh, something liquid, which cannot really dissolve, you know? I remember as a kid, I used to think that, that curry was a, like a single spice, uh -huh. you know? And and actually, the, the curry you find in the Western supermarket, they, they have like a similar flavor profile, while uh -huh. I guess that's not the case if you go to different families in India. And uh, when I started in culinary school, uh, one of the first things I did was making my my own curry. Mm -hmm. and this is uh, like a super nice experience to, to make uh, your own spice blends, uh, add some uh -huh. cardamom, uh, add stuff that is normal, yeah. not in the curry you find in the supermarket with a coffee grinder, and you get your your own powder, and, and it's something super fun to do. Yeah, I think it's 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 just I mean depending on where you are, the British, for example. They liked the color of the curry. For example, if you go to India, the curry powders is, is also available. There is curry powders in India. They're called garam masalas or some kind of masala. It's the word for spice blend. But none of them are yellow, for example. The British had some fascination with the color yellow and they put turmeric in every curry, like the Madras curry blend and all of them are yellow or orangey of some sorts, which is not the truth in India. In India, you use, I mean, there's a lot of concept of Ayurveda. So turmeric is important, but in a very small proportion, also at the right time of the day with the right composition. Uh, so these things are just like things which have been bastardized, like Starbucks selling turmeric latte or the golden milk and making it famous, which we've been drinking as Indians, as, as young, small kids. So I think it's a lot of uh, ununderstanding, not really putting in the effort to understand what everything comes from. Yeah, I, I also remember seeing in a, like in a culinary magazine, there was this map of different curries, not, not only in India, but in uh -huh. all of Southeast Asia. Uh -huh. And there were some variations with, even with coconut powder and things that, that you don't, usually don't associate with, with the curry powder. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something very, it's, it's all stemming from the colonization. A lot of it is stemming from colonization. I mean, J Japan, not really a big part of the British colony, but also has their, many of them claim the national dish to be curry rice, which is just Japanese curry with rice. So the Thai have a curry, whereas they just blend the ingredients together, whereas we cook every spice. So I think it's a lot of uh, various interpretations of, of, of this curry generalized terms. But it, I mean, studying Indian cuisine is just like studying the whole of Europe together. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's 28 states mm. and funnily enough has 22 official languages. If you take a one rupee note, it has 22 official languages. None of them have the word curry, but Indians are known for curry <laughs> and for some funny reason. That's very funny. You, you told me a story once uh, that you met like a, an Indian guy or someone told you, ah, look, he's from, from India. You, you can talk in, in your own language. And the only common language you had was English. Exactly. Yeah. This was this happened at a local uh, research center. We were doing some research with the, the brain language uh, part of it with the restaurant Mugarits. And the researchers 
not only in Spain, everywhere happened to be Indian. I think it seems I'm the rare one who's a chef. Most of them are engineers or informatics or scientists. And this girl was uh, from Kerala, which is down south of India. And I'm from Bombay, uh, which is somewhere in the in the uh, uh, west. So we had, I speak English, Hindi, Marathi and Urdu. And she speaks uh, Kannada, Malayalam. And both of them are not even, not, not just not similar, but are written differently. So Urdu, you write from right to the left. She writes uh, in different... Ah, different alphabet as well. Wow. Exactly. The script is different. I speak three languages, which all of them are like English script is different to Devnagari, which is Hindi script, and then Arab script, which is Urdu. And it's it's normal. It's not like I'm special. I think every, everybody in India is, is, is the same, which also, I mean, comes to the other... I mean, this this is also beautiful at once, but also creates problems and barriers and things get lost in translation, which is why Indian food has not been able to, it's catchy and famous, but still it's not the true version of it, which is getting, because it's tough to, I mean, tough to communicate, I believe. So in, in, in your opinion, what are some of the factors that have contributed to the misunderstandings and misrepresentations of Indian food abroad in foreign markets, especially in Europe and in the States? I think, I mean, these are two different cases. For example, you just see a menu of a, of a European Indian restaurant will have more uh, chicken tikka masala and butter chicken and tandoori chicken. Whereas, or, and we'll also have a lot of South Indian, South Indian dishes in, in Europe, very good America. It's uh, more the North Indian chana masala or things like this. It all stems from how the Indian settlers came into came into England in the first place. So when in British colony was uh, British colony started not as a colony but as an East India Company, they started trade because Portuguese and Dutch had had parts of India and the British wanted a bigger part of India. So it was a very proud thing to have Indian food in in England. It was a royal royal food at that point because all these people who went to to India as bureaucrats from the British government they bought back this cuisine. So the common people in, in England didn't know it. England was in the middle of war and tough times in the Renaissance. And I think what happened there is they bought these cooks with them. So they bought their cooks that they had, the private cooks in India, they bought them back to 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 England. And from there, uh, all of this uh, Indian food understanding has come. So I think the misunderstanding has happened because people have tried to do the same. Like if you want to make a mango chutney, but then... Mango in, in, in Victorian times is not an easy ingredient to find. You'd switch with apple. So I think those were substitutes made for that time. For example, tamarind is something very, very commonly found in India. And the the curries, the sourness comes from tamarind. They switched with lemon juice at that point. So what looked like small, uh, it's like a Chinese whisper. Whatever seems like a small problem at once, the more it multiplies, it just becomes a bigger problem because you have gone very far from the root. Uh, essence of how the so I think the the problem was Indian cuisine was not spread by a purpose but by chance. Like Italian cuisine has uh, has delegates of the Napoleon pizza, so they have a, a committee which decides what goes where. Yeah, 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 which is not the case with 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 Indian food, you know. Yeah, I I guess it it also is because it's much wider and, and much wild. As you said, that there are twenty two different languages, like a super long history. Uh -huh. Do you think so? By by what you're saying, is there like like a specific evolution of Indian food in the UK and in, in England? Yeah, I think it it first came with the Victorian Victorian food. What they had was the royal royal food because they had the recipes which were Indian food but made for non-Indians. It was all milded down in terms of spice and the other factors. And then I think it came because uh, very famously, just after the war, when the times were better and uh, England was again starting to boom, the economy was becoming big, becoming bigger. Uh, they wanted to celebrate the Commonwealth. So England, in many occasions, if you see the 20th century has organized 
these festivals where in the middle of London, they used to bring uh, communities from India, from South Africa to show the heritage of uh, what the British Empire was. And people learned from there about what their, what Indian food looks like. So that was one era where the common people started learning what is Indian food. And then, then came the, the pub era. Today, Indian food is the pub food in, in England. Okay. It's because, uh, because a lot of, uh, another uh, immigration happened from Bangladesh because they had these steamships from Bangladesh, which used to bring the silk route, uh, ca- carry out the whole silk route to England. And these people didn't have a great life putting, char- putting coal inside the ship. So they just jumped on the ship and stayed in England. So they brought with them a different kind of Bangladeshi cuisine, which has more mustard oil and and, and fish-powered uh, cuisine. So I think it has seen a lot of lot of phases. And right now we've stayed with the most convenient of them all by generalizing the whole, uh, the tons of things that came. There are also like fine dining restaurants uh, with Michelin stars and everything, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if I'm not wrong, and... London and also in yes. New York, the, the Spisha, Spisha Kana has Michelin yeah, stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Kana has had, had a three-star Michelin once. Now he's more into book writing and things. But there is there's the Tabla was a famous Indian restaurant in in England. Most recently, the biggest name in Indian cuisine, although he's not very Indian, but is Gavan. Gavan has been uh, oh, yeah, right. yeah. in the top five in the world's 50 best and number one in Asia's Asia's 50 best. And Gagan does also a very, in his course, in his menu, there's one course which is, which is curry, and, curry and rice. But uh, again, this has, uh, yeah, it has come, it has come through because I think it's not only the heritage, but then again, these people who have made it famous and who have made it big on the Western stage have focused on one part of the Indian food, which I think is the trick. Because if you get into being a traditional and authentic and sincere about all the parts of India, it's very it's very tough, I think. So many restaurants like these in Dubai, for example, there are many which is a closer platform to India in terms of getting open to the West. There's a lot of uh, new stuff happening. Yeah, but actually, Bishaf Khanna has a, a restaurant in Dubai. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's a, good, it's, I mean, it's a good platform because it's a platform where these ideas are accepted and there's also Indian population a lot in all these countries and... Uh, I think it, it it's I mean it's I see it to be received very well because people going there know that they're not going to have their classic Indian meal and I think it's it's beautiful how people are open to see what more is is there on this level in Indian food. Also to mention uh, about this chef, uh, it's interesting that he opened uh, a museum with old artifacts and culinary utensils and I think that it has a collection of over 10,000 culinary utensils from India from all over the different regions, uh, antiquities. So that that's to be something interesting to to take a look at. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I've not seen it because I was already here in Europe, but I've heard about it it's in the Manipal University. It's a university which about uh, culinary education as well, and he has uh, yeah helped to consolidate this museum. And it's it's beautiful because a lot of I mean India happening to be so huge and having the beauty of being in the center of the spice route is it has attracted always trade trade men and and commercial activity. So all of them have passed their own culture. So I think Indian cuisine, again, is not, nobody can say it's authentic. Every Everything that is there in India today has come from somewhere in the world. But it's the beauty of how it's been accepted and there is so many marks of history over it. So finish with, I, I wanted to ask you, You, I had recently the privilege to, to try your butter chicken, which was amazing. And I remember I was telling this to, to a friend, he, he's not like a culinary person, but he, he actually asked, oh, great, and what, did, did he have like a super good garam masala? And I remember while, while we were eating that, uh, so some people also ask you, and uh, aren't there any spices here? And, and this like, like this prejudice that Indian food has to be full of spices all the time. Well, well, this is a good example of how it doesn't have to. 
And you mentioned you had like, you applied like many secrets and tricks to to cook that uh -huh. butter chicken, but, but could, could you share us some, some of those? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, exactly. So this is also one classic example of how cuisine changes because what I made the other day for you and the other colleagues is, is again, not very authentic, but then it's, it's a fruit of what is available. So for example, I didn't have a tandoor, so I used the oven, but then again, to compensate for the, for the smoke or for this element of being in, in, in close to charcoal, I just used a, a very traditional method. Actually, it's called dungar. It basically means smoke, to smoke something. And what you do there is you make your, I mean, however you make your curry or however you reach to the end of that. And this can be actually applied to any any dish. And you take an aluminum foil or classically people use uh, onion skins. When sustainability didn't, it didn't exist, people used onion skins. And you take a burning carbon, you burn the carbon either with, the, I used a blowtorch because we don't have a fire in the kitchen. Or you burn it on fire and just put it inside that bowl or the aluminum foil or the, or the, or the onion skin with some spices burning. And what you do next is you put a small blob of butter inside that. So that would itself, the, the reaction of butter and something burning will create a smoke. And then next thing is you cover it and try to trap that's, that smoke inside. So that is one of the examples of how you can actually accustom yourself and uh, adapt with, with, with what's going on. I think Indian food is not about just spicy or by ingredients. I think everything can be Indianized of sorts if you apply the principles. I think the basic principle to make any, say, a vegetable curry, not even meat, is everything starts with oil. It can be, mostly it's the vegetable sunflower oil or groundnut oil, something neutral. But then there are parts of India which use mustard oil, which is again something which is not used in Europe at all, which is delicious with something with fish, for example. Yeah, I've had mustard oil and it's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. It has, I mean, it, it's also special. You can't use it by itself. You need to burn it first. You need to take it to a smoking point so it doesn't be so pungent on your throat at the end. So people burn it mostly in earthen pots and then use it. So you use the oil. You put, mostly people put either curry leaves or cumin powder or mustard seeds. The idea is to flavor the oil. You put something dry, which is a spice by flavor, and you put a bay leaf, something in the oil, it splutters. You put the onion, you roast it, you put the spice of your choice. If you have cumin powder, put cumin powder. If you have coriander, put coriander. But there is no such mix which will lead you to, I don't know, the best level of, but if you have a spice bend, put it right there. Roast it off and put whatever you want, the vegetable or the, or the meat, and Put some water, cover the lid, and whenever that thing cooks, the chicken or the vegetable, you have a curry in front of you. It's actually very simple. It's not about sticking to specific brands or ingredients. It's just... Yeah, I guess curry is like like an equivalent to, say, wok. Exactly. It's like a methodology that has some principles, and you can do whatever you want inside of those principles, and that would be a wok or a curry. Exactly. I mean, you need to be free and out of their own uh, uh, things that tie them up. I think it's a beauty because a lot of these things which are, which seem like bastardized or bad or not really Indian have actually contributed a lot to Indian food today as well. Everybody, the whole world is waking up now to millets are the future food and millets are amazing. But India used to have millets years ago. But thanks to the people waking up to millets, India has actually spoken to the UN and next year is going to be the year of millets, for example, which brings a lot of trade and business to India. So I think not only Indian cuisine, but every cuisine gets has been bastardized at some point and people have been upset. But I think just being accepting and, and seeing that version of things while knowing it's not the truest form of it and respecting each other, I think it's it's a beautiful way to, to continue. That's it for this week's episode of Putlock Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. 
You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Putluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.